God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Let earth and heavenly saints proclaim the power and might of his great name. Let us exalt on bended knee. Praise God, the Holy Trinity. Praise God, praise God, praise God who saved my soul. Praise God. morning and welcome to the second service at Preston Crest. Uh, my name is Randy Tucker. have the privilege of serving as one of the elders here. We're grateful for your participation, whether you're here with us in person or uh, visiting with us uh, virtually through our streaming. Uh, this morning, I'd like you to uh, remember to please text the word check-in to uh, 469-476-5331. This will give you access to uh, the bulletin uh, and if you use and text the word me, you'll have access anytime to um, our search our directory, uh, enter prayer request, log into the website, and stay aware of all the events that we have going on. Uh, this is an opportunity for us to ensure that we uh, have a record of your participation with us. 
I have a few items I'd like to highlight this morning. In the foyer, we have a new prayer quilt for a good friend of uh, our sister, Ren Gordon, uh, Chrissy Fortune. And if you would take an opportunity to go and tie a knot on that quilt and say a prayer on her behalf. And then with regard to our Village of Hope, uh, the Preston Crest House, we're so grateful for the generosity of the Preston Crest family and those who are supportive of that work. Uh, over $42,000 has been raised toward that $33,000 goal. Uh, additional funds will be used to help uh, make repairs on other buildings. I know a number of our Preston Crest family have had the opportunity to visit that work there, and uh, we're so grateful for your generosity and the outpouring of love for the, uh, the house there and the other repairs that will be so beneficial to the uh, folks that live there. And I'd like to encourage you tonight to come back at 6 o'clock. Uh, Jacob Hawk will be continuing our series on Encounters with Jesus. I'd like you to be a part of that uh, this evening. As we go to worship this morning, let's read from Exodus 15:2. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you this morning declaring your majesty, glory, and power. Father, we acknowledge you as the one and true God, the creator of heavens and earth. Father, thank you so much for the needs that you continue to meet. May we be grateful and content with the blessings that you provide for us. Father, help us to show hospitality and kindness, and may we live lives of welcome. Help us to see those that are in need, to reach out to the widowed and the fatherless and those who are dealing with loneliness, especially during these times of isolation. Father, we know that we fall short daily, and we ask that you would help us in our efforts as we look to live holy and upright lives. Forgive our sins. Help us to forgive as you have forgiven us. And may we live, Father, in peace and shine the light of your Son in our lives. Protect us from Satan as he's seeking to devour our hearts and guard us as we seek to glorify you. We ask this in the name of, our, of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This is holy ground. We're standing on holy ground.
sing one more song as we enter into our time of communion and then Trey Carson will come and lead us this morning around the bread and the, and the cup. As we prepare our minds today to partake in the Lord's Supper, I want to read a passage from Isaiah where he prophesies about the coming and the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus. Starting in 52, verse 13, Isaiah reads, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised up and lifted up and highly exalted. 
Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death. And it was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Let's bless the bread. Bow with me. Lord Almighty, here we are to partake in the body of Christ. We pray for forgiveness as we remember Jesus and the burden that was laid on him. We remember that his body was pierced for our sins. We remember that his soul suffered in separation from you because of our transgressions. Father, but it was your will to raise him up on the third day. It was your will for life to triumph over death. Let us seek you always. Help us to take up our cross daily and lead us into the light of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.
Let's bless the cup. Holy God, again, we approach your throne just in awe as we partake in the blood of Christ that is this cup. Lord, as we pour out this cup, help us to be mindful of the perfect life that was poured out for us. Though we are not worthy, Lord, you show us grace. And even though we are guilty, Lord, you have mercy on us. There's only one name under heaven by which we must be saved. Lord, let us be mindful of that name, the sweet name of Jesus Christ. Let it be on our lips and in our hearts at this time. Wash us and make us clean, Father, by the blood of Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Well, it could be that you are in this assembly this morning and you have come prepared to give an offering. And if that is the case, we have a box in the very center of our foyer for you to uh, drop that offering into. If you are one of the many that have chosen to give online, we thank you, as always, for making that choice to, to work alongside with us, to partner with us, to build up the kingdom of Christ in this place. There's another way we can give this morning. And that is, is uh, in tying a knot in the prayer quilt that is in the foyer. And um, Randy introduced this and, and told us a little bit about this. What, what you don't know, Chrissy Fortune, this is who we're tying the quilt for, is a friend of Wren Gordon. She is a young mother of two expecting her third baby in December. Her husband was killed in a work accident recently. And so she is asking, church, she's asking for prayers, for strength, and for peace. And so here we are. Here we are, church. That's something we can give. So let me invite you, let me encourage you to go... Once this assembly is concluded, to go to that prayer quilt, to tie a knot, and to not only say a prayer at that moment, but carry the name of Chrissy Fortune with you this week and lift her up in prayer. Let's, let's pray. Father God, thank you for opportunities to, to give, to serve, to share, to bear each other's burdens. 
We are your children. We are a family. And so we hurt when others hurt. Thank you for the opportunity to give. To give of our resources, to give of our time. And this morning, to give of our prayers. And so we do that now. We pray for Chrissy. We ask that you strengthen her, that you fill her with your peace, supernatural peace that, that none of us can understand. That's the kind of peace we need, and that's the kind of peace that she wants. Father, bless us as we give. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. All right. Well, it is time to send kids on up to Children's Church. So let's, uh, let's be standing, please. We'll take kids on up. We're going to sing one more song, and then Jacob Hawk is going to come and share a word with us this morning. All hail the power of Jesus in One seventeen this morning, I received a text message from Gordon, and he said, I'm not feeling very well. Would you be up to preaching for us both services this morning? And I said, sure. And Charlie Johnson was the elder in charge for the first service, and he announced that I'd be speaking, and he said, Jacob is going to continue our pause series on how we can learn to get some rest. And I told Charlie, I said, I assure you, I have not had much rest. So <laughs> today's not the day to continue the pause series. I'm sure you will be glad to have Gordon back next Sunday. I did think to myself though, you know, preachers are always looking for really good illustrations. What better illustration for the pause series than to ask another person to speak so you can get some rest? until next Sunday, but uh, we appreciate Gordon and all he does and Isla for this church, and we'll be glad to have them back with us the next Lord's Day. While I'm up here, if you have any interest 
whatsoever in playing in the Preston Crest Golf Scramble. It is a week from Tuesday, October the 12th at the Texas Star Golf Club in Euless. It's been open now for several months, and if you want to play, today is the last day to register. You can go to PressonCrest.org slash golf, find the registration form. If you register on Wednesday rather than today, we will let you come, but you don't get to play. You have to caddy, so get it done today if you would like to play. You know, there are some questions in life that just don't have very good answers, Life is full of questions without good answers. In fact, ladies, have you ever looked at your husband? Maybe it was yesterday and he's sitting there watching college football and he's just staring into the distance and you cozy up next to him and you say, Honey, what are you thinking? And he says, Nothing. And you say, no, really. What are you thinking? What's going on in your mind right now? Ladies, he's telling you the truth. (laughs) Men are perfectly content just to sit there and take up space. Sometimes we really aren't thinking about anything at all. It's, It's true. Or moms, when you pick your children up from school after a long day and... You get out of the school speed zone and you start asking them, hey, what did you learn today at school? What do they usually say? Nothing. You didn't learn anything at all? You didn't? What, what did y'all talk about today? You've been there for eight hours. Stuff. Well, that clears it up, you know. Thanks for giving me a rundown of your day. Now, we've picked on the men, but husbands, you can resonate with this. You know, sometimes you want to be real kind and chivalrous and you don't want your wife to cook dinner. So you ask her, sweetheart, where would you like to eat dinner tonight? And she usually says, I don't care. You pick. And so you pick and you pull into the parking lot of the restaurant and she says, you picked here? And you say, well, you said you didn't care. And she says, well, I thought you just knew me better than that. Maybe you've been there. You know that life is full of some questions that usually don't have very good answers. And there's one question that has been asked for hundreds of years. And it's never received a very good answer. And that question is, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why is it that a man or a woman can take care of their body their entire life, go see the doctor, get annual checkups, they exercise daily, they eat right, they follow all of the doctor's orders and recommendations, and then they come down to their 60s or 70s and they find out that they've been diagnosed with stage 4 cancer? And then people who may have smoked their entire life and not taken care of their body, nothing's wrong with them at all. Why does that happen? Why is it that a a man can 
be a great employee and work for the same company for 25 or 30 or even 40 years. And he's coming down to the glory days of retirement. He can taste it. It's in his grasp. And he's just a few months away. And he's called into the boss's office. And the boss says, you've been laid off. You're no longer a part of this company. And this great retirement that he's planned for himself, seeing the grandkids, traveling, seeing the world, he never gets to experience it because he's forced to work another 10 or 20 years just so they can get by. Why is it that a godly couple who so badly wants to have a child and raise that child to know the Lord, why is it that they can't get pregnant? But then it seems like there are hundreds, if not thousands of adults in our country who they're not fit to be parents and they don't even want children, but they just get pregnant by looking at each other. Why does that happen? Why is it that a beautiful teenage girl driving home from school with her entire life ahead of her to live, gets killed by a drunk driver. But then a godly saint who's lived to be 90 or 95, she watches her health deteriorate and she so desperately wants to go home and be with God, but the body just won't let go. And she watches every single dollar of her minimum Income be depleted by the exorbitant cost of health care. Why does it work that way? Why do bad things happen to good people? I don't know. If you're looking for a preacher's answer, I don't have it because I don't think there is one. But one thing I do know is that God tells us in his word over and over and over again that if you hold on to me, if you trust me, if you never leave my side, you're going to make it. And I'm going to take care of you. And the brother of Jesus, when he is recording his great little book toward the end of the New Testament that we call James, picks up the inspired pen toward the end in James chapter 5. And James talks about perseverance, and he specifically talks about suffering, and he mentions the life of that great biblical hero named Job. In fact, James says, if we can go ahead and put up that slide, James chapter 5, beginning in verse 10, he says, Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance, and you have seen what the Lord finally brought about the Lord is full of compassion and he is full of mercy. You can read through your Bible all you want and you'll never find in your Bible God specifically tell you, here's why you lose someone early in life to cancer. 
Here's why you're laid off. Here's why you have to bury a child. Here's why things come your way that are so unfair. The Bible is never going to spell that out directly for you, but the Bible will tell you, you got to persevere in this life. You got to hold on to God. And it's not easy. It takes some grit. In fact, it will require everything that you have. But if you stay faithful, if you don't give up, you're going to make it. And I'm so glad that James mentions Job because Job is such a perfect example for suffering. You know, here's the thing about suffering. First of all, we need to understand that through suffering, we truly come to know God. That's how it happens. Through suffering. And Job suffered in so many ways in his life. I know you're familiar with the story of Job. You know about everything that he lost. He lost his possessions. He lost his home. He lost his health. I know that some of you in here have lived through the terrible tragedy of having to bury a child. That's not how life is supposed to work. Parents are not supposed to bury kids. And as painful as it is to bury a child, I mean, it's... It's terrible. Can you imagine what it would have been like to bury all 10 of your kids? Job lost 10 children. It was a terrible, horrific time in his life. And here's what made it so painful. Job had done nothing wrong. Job had done nothing to deserve it. But it's because Job endured these bad things that later on in life he enjoyed the relationship with God that he enjoyed so much. You know, I'm convinced that Job never got to read Job chapter 1. Job was not aware of the fact that God and Satan were having a conversation about him backstage. And that God practically dared Satan to see if Satan could turn Job away from the Lord. God said, there's no one on earth like him. Just see what you can do. I give you free reign. And so Job came sweeping through, or Satan came sweeping through Job's life with a terrible satanic hammer, taking down everything in his path. Just to see if Job would turn You know, the book of Job is 42 chapters long. And for the first 37 chapters, God is completely silent. Job is crying out to God. He's angry. He's confused. Why is this happening? He even has friends who come up to him and say, Buddy, you've obviously done something wrong. You've blown it. These things wouldn't be happening if if you didn't have some terrible sin in your life. Some friends. If you have people in your life today telling you that the bad things in your life are because of something you've done wrong or because God doesn't care about you, you need to find some new friends. That's not the story of the gospel. That's not the story of the book of Job. 
But Job had been crying out day and night, day and night. And finally, in chapter 38, God breaks his silence. (laughs) And God speaks from heaven. And we can only imagine with that great booming voice. And God says, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. Job, where were you? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you understand. Job had poked the bear. If God ever tells you, brace yourself like a man, I will question you and you will answer me. You're in for a hard conversation. In other words, God is saying, who are you to question me? Why I do what I do, how I do what I do, when I do what I do, what I do, what I do. And Job wrestles with that, and we get to the end of the book, Job 42. I'm going to read just a few verses, beginning in verse 2, if you want to turn there or just listen. But after Job has this life-changing conversation with God, Job says, Well, I know that you can do all things, that no plan of yours can be stopped. You asked Who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. But I love this last line, Job says. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. You see, through suffering, Job's relationship with God changed. It was no longer a hearsay relationship where Job said, I've heard about you in my life, but now it was a personal relationship, a face-to-face relationship where Job said, I have seen the Lord God Almighty directly in my life. And that did not come... Because everything went great in Job's life that happened because of suffering. Job came to know God in a completely different way. I think that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is describing in Philippians chapter 3 when he says, my biggest goal now in my life is to know Christ. It's not the 
background. It's not my academic training. It's not my social status. Paul says, I consider everything else rubbish, trash, compared to knowing Jesus. But Paul does say in that same passage of Philippians 3, for me to truly know Jesus, one of the things that has to happen is I have to share in the fellowship of his suffering. I have to have some hard times in my life. Church, I'm truly convinced that we will never be able to fully know Jesus the way that we should without suffering. We'll never understand it. We don't know what it means to really follow Jesus when everything's going well in our life. We don't know what it really means to follow Jesus when our business is thriving, when our health is strong, when our children are faithful. We don't know what it means to follow Jesus when everything's going our way. We come to learn what it means to follow Jesus when everything falls apart. When suffering enters into our minds and into our hearts and into our lives. That's why James would begin his book in James chapter 1 verse 2 by saying, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials and testings of many kind. Because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. At the end of this journey, you're going to know God better than you ever have before. You ever thought about why it works that way? Why do we have to go through the fire to be molded and shaped the way that God wants us to be molded and shaped? I think the reason it happens that way is because God ministers to the brokenhearted. God does some of his best work when you're the most miserable. I love what King David wrote in Psalm 34, 18. David said, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And the Lord saves those who are crushed in spirit. You think David ever experienced a broken heart? Do you think David knew what it was like to have a crushed spirit? When he writes this, he's talking from personal experience. What about losing a child that you prayed for seven days and seven nights would live because of your own adultery? David knew heartache. What about watching your own son Absalom, because of power and pride and prestige, do everything that he could to steal the throne away from you, even trying to take your life? Your own son. That would have been heartbreaking. What about watching this nation of Israel, God's chosen people, rise and fall, rise and fall, rise and fall on your watch many times because you made some sinful, selfish decisions. David knew what it was like to have a broken heart. David knew what it was to have a crushed spirit. And David says, the Lord is close. He is close to the brokenhearted. He's in the room. 
Which means when you're sitting in a hospital room holding the hand of a loved one that you know is about to die and you see that line go flat measuring the vitals of their life and you know that their life on this earth is over. God is in that hospital room. He's never been closer. When you go to the cemetery and you lay a loved one to rest that was supposed to live many more years, God's in that cemetery. When you're called into the boss's office and you're let go for nothing you've done wrong and you go home and you drive home and you wonder, how am I going to explain to my family that dad no longer has a job? God is in that car ride home. God is in that boss's office and God is in that household. He's never been closer. Parents, when your adult children knock on your door one day, And when they say, I don't believe in God anymore. And you feel like you could reach down and pull your heart off the floor that's fallen out of your chest. God's there. God is there in the jaws of addiction. God is there in the stress of a home. God is there in the heartbreak of a divorce. God is there in the darkness of infertility. God's everywhere. And that is because the presence of hardship does not mark the absence of God. The presence of hardship does not mark the absence of God. God is still close by. God has never left your side. And God is still ministering to his people. In fact, that's exactly how it worked for Jesus. Even the Son of God, Trey read to us this morning from Isaiah 53. Isaiah would write about the Son of God 750 years before Jesus would ever come to earth. And Isaiah surely didn't fully understand what he was talking about. But Isaiah said, this Savior who is going to come, he will be despised, he will be rejected, he will be a man of sorrows, he will be familiar with suffering, he will be stricken, he will be pierced. Jesus was not just a good man, Jesus was a perfect man and bad things still happen to him. But even with Jesus, because of the suffering in his life that he endured, even Jesus' relationship with God changed. It was almost like Jesus was demoted, or not demoted, promoted. Because we, we read John's gospel account, John chapter 1 verse 1, John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. They were together in the beginning, almost like they were equals. But then after Jesus comes, and after Jesus lives, and after Jesus dies, the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 12 verse 2, consider Jesus Put your eyes on him, the author and perfecter of your faith, because he endured suffering. And he sat down at the right 
hand of God. After the suffering, after the cross, Jesus was given even a higher place with the Father. Because through suffering, our relationship with God, it changes. It really does. Job's relationship with God changed because of what he endured. It happened for Paul. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul has that famous thorn in the flesh and he prays three times to the Lord. Take it away, take it away, take it away. God says, no, no, no. And Jesus speaks and Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in your weakness. What did Paul have to go through to learn that? The thorn. He didn't hear that before the thorn. He learned it after the thorn. In Acts 7, Stephen is being stoned for being such a bold preacher for God. And while he's being stoned, and while rock after rock is hurled at his face, and bones are broken, Stephen looks up into heaven, and Stephen sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. The only time we find in the New Testament the example of Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Stephen got to see that, but it took his death to have that image. And when suffering comes into our lives and we come out on the other side, we love God and we appreciate God so much more. I'm sure you have heard the story before of a man named Horatio Spafford. He was the author of the very well-known hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. That song has been one of the most famous hymns sung by Christians for decades. What you may not know, and I'm sure some of you already do, but what you may not know is that that song was written because of a Tragic story. Horatio Spafford was a very successful lawyer in the Chicago area. He owned a massive estate right off of Lake Michigan and many other properties in the greater Chicago area. He had built a thriving law practice and then the great fire of Chicago toward the end of the 1800s wiped all of it out, burned it to the ground. Spafford and his family, they were obviously distraught because of the tragedy. And so Spafford, being a loving father and wonderful husband, told his wife and four daughters, you guys get out of town. Get away. Get this off your mind. I will come meet you in a few days. I've got to stay back in Chicago and take care of some business. So Spafford and his daughters boarded a ship, and depending on who you read in history, it's kind of a different account. But what we do know is Spafford's wife and four daughters was on a ship in the northern Atlantic Ocean headed for England and there was a shipwreck. And the passengers exited the vessel 
and Spafford's daughters drowned. Somehow, Spafford's wife swam to safety. And when she reached land, she sent the dark telegram to her husband, Saved alone. Saved alone. Which meant all four of our baby girls, they have drowned. In one week's time, Spafford lost his home, his property, his daughters, and life as he knew it. A few days later, Spafford boarded a ship himself, and he was sailing to the place where his wife was waiting for him to arrive, grieving the loss of their daughters, traumatized by the event. And the vessel that he was on, the captain directing that ship, knew what had happened just a few days before. Spafford's ship followed the same route where his daughters and wife were traveling. And the captain of that ship, out of respect to Spafford, stopped the boat at the exact place where his four daughters had drowned. And Spafford grabbed a pen and he took some paper and he leaned over the rails of the ship and he looked down into the water and he wrote, When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. You love that song. But what you may not have realized was it took a shipwreck and it took suffering for that song to be written. And when suffering comes into our life, we've got two choices. We will either let it draw us closer to God or we will let it take us further away. Spafford wrote a song. My question for you is, what can you do to encourage the kingdom of God? As we finish this morning, you know the words of this song. You don't need a slide. Let's sing this together. When peace like a
I don't know what's going on in your life this morning, but I do know we serve a great God. Through suffering, we come to know him much better. And that's because our God, he always ministers to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And if there is anything we can do for you this morning, if we can pray for you, if we can encourage you, if you need to put the Lord on in baptism and become a Christian, we stand ready to serve you in any way that we can. Let's sing this song together. Let us be faithful, 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 Lord. Let us be faithful, faithful, Lord. Though we cannot see, we still believe. Let us be faithful, faithful, Lord. We believe in a God who is able to bring justice and mercy to all. appreciate Jacob uh, leaving his phone on uh, so he was not set to do not disturb. I would have woken up at six and gotten the message. So let's read from number six as we uh, have our take-home verse together. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And the church says, Amen. Amen.